Hi, this is 100 Days a Year Podcast. Our podcast? Well, because you need another podcast. I'm sitting here with my best friend in the whole wide universe, Becky Fouché. My name is Jeremy Rabondo, and today we are recording Fear of Loss Part 2. Principles of Relationship Interpretation for Loss It may not be better to have loved and lost when it happens to you. Jeremy and I find ourselves at times obsessed with those that we love dying. We love them and we do not want them to go. It is just that simple. The thought of it is breathtaking because there is just no way to prepare for it. And the only thing you know is that you won't be ready no matter how much deliberate preparation you attempt to make. It will come as a shock and it will choke all of your thoughts and feelings, and you will grind to a halt and just stop. Let's forget about time and space past this life for just a minute. Be in the present with us for just a few minutes. Here's a really helpful thought experiment. If you knew you had one hour with the person or people you loved the most, and that you would never experience them ever again, what would you do in that 60 minutes? And a few of us may truly know what we would do. But let's think about it. Let's close our eyes and truly think about it because maybe the thought and fear of loss should mean that we should do something to make the relationship more meaningful now, today. And not leave it for some future wishful moment that may never happen. This is a great thought experiment because it causes us to be immensely thankful, or it should. You have these people in your life today. Make more of it than you are doing now. Yeah, that thought experiment is pretty difficult to conceive, you know, and it just kind of hits me square, you know, right in the face. Um, I mean, as I as I think about what you what you wrote and what you read, I I just can't help but but think about how we are of two minds, you know, we are of like we want to be able to communicate to those people who we love that we love them. I mean, most of us do, and some of us can do it freely. Some of us, it takes a lot of energy and it's not necessarily the most comfortable thing. Um, some people pass around, I love you like candy, and it may not be, you know, evidence of a heartfelt uh, feeling. But the point is, is that if I only had 60 minutes uh, with, with, you know, let's just say my mother who I just love dearly, uh, phew, you know, I, I'm not sure what I would do, but I would hope that there would be many things that I could, could, could do. Um, and I've, obviously it would be a lot of communication of what she meant to me and what she'd done for me and, and uh, how thankful I was. And then a lot of, a lot of talk about how sad I would be that I would be able to experience her anymore. And, and I think, I mean, I don't know how anybody could, could answer that question any differently. Yeah. I, I don't think you could ever say enough in those 60 minutes. I think you would walk away from those 60 minutes going, I, I barely scratched the surface of everything I feel. Right. You know? And that's when you know. That's when you absolutely know that, that there's an expiration date, if you will, an expiration moment where the conversation would cease for whatever reason. Right. 
and most of the time we don't know. Uh, as we talked about on part one, you know, uh, two weeks ago, because we once again we've gone two weeks now without a podcast. That that there's really no way to prepare for it, and even if you had that final moment and it was like at a specific time, I don't, I don't know that you could prepare for that, you know, that eventual moment of separation. I don't know how you do that. Um, but I think, but I think actually knowing that a period of time, you know, would be finite and that you'd have to get it all in, I think would cause you to really move past the things that, or whatever holds you back, you know, however you would define it, but it would cause you to move past them and to state what was truly meaningful. Yeah. There's a definitely a permanence that comes with that thought experiment, you know? That, that that 60 minutes would be all that you could all that you could express forever yeah and it creates a lot of responsibility and so I think that leads to the question of you don't you know you don't know when that 60 minutes is going to happen you don't know when those last moments really are going to be sometimes you do know but a lot of times people people are surprised and they they don't know so how can how can you incorporate the impact of that experiment every day and i think what you just said kind of hit me and and i apologize if i stopped listening to the last few seconds of what you said but in a way we don't know well i mean most of us will never have that like i said that expiration date on the time you know, that you'll know in advance where you will have been able to spend that last moment with your loved one. But for all the people that we love, there will come a time which that 60-minute clock starts running. Yeah. You know, we don't know when that is, but, you know, it will happen. And like you said, to some extent you can prepare if you have a loved one, you know, with a limited time to live. Um, you know, and a lot of times those last those last hours are, are not spent in, you know, completely cogent, fruitful conversation I don't mean fruitful but cogent you know back and forth you know vivacious conversation full of content it's quite quite different but I, I love you on repeat yeah right for sure one of the things that I that I thought of and and of course because we love people you know I I don't want to be offensive but I don't but but there's a but there's a gravity of of the moment that I think that sometime passes people by who believe the following and again I this is going to sound disrespectful and condescending to people of faith and I don't mean it this way but there are some people that I grew up with that I know that will that will say well I'll see these people again you know we're going to wherever it is that the destination is, you know, you know, wherever that's located and how that's going to be experienced for the people who believe that, you know, I'm going to see that person again. I'll be reunited, reunited with that person again. And I think as comforting as that can be of a thought, and you know where I'm going with this. Right. Um, it, all it does is it abdicates you from the responsibility of making the most of the actual life and time you have in this place. Yep. 
And why wait for something that cannot be known? And I, like I said, I'm not trying to be, but I have no, I have nothing I can smell, see, taste, or feel that, that, that tells me that there is some, uh, some, some kind of construct of time and space past the one that I'm experiencing now. I have no tangible evidence for that. So I think sometimes it's easy to say, I'll see these people again. We're going to be reunited again. And then that just shifts the, the responsibility to a later period of time. And we all do this in so many aspects of our life. Okay. The, sorry, I'm not trying to create the death of a loved one with like a work deadline, but we all have work deadlines that we push off. Right. Yeah. And then we go, well, that deadline's flexible. And <laughs> you know, then it really depends on how upset your supervisor becomes. But do, do you know what I'm saying? It's not, yeah. I'm, this is for those of you who are listening with your mouth agape going, what is he trying to do? Comparing these two horribly unequal things together. I'm just saying, if you know that a deadline is, is flexible, even if it's, you know, difficult to, to describe and understand, I think you feel alleviated from the responsibility to make the most of that relationship now. Absolutely. And I think if we thought, and bear with me in this, I think if we thought that a relationship could truly have a fine, that truly had a finite period of time where that, that relationship would truly be over and then you would never experience them again, ever, I think it would change our orientation to the relationship in the present. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Because then you start accepting your responsibility a little more readily, more heavily. Um, you probably want to get angry as much. Mm-hmm. You know. I think there'd be an overwhelming impulse to pack it in and to just cut out the nature of some of the performative yeah. things that we do every day. Right. Not only that, but I think you'd say yes more. That's a that's that's a that's a whole other discussion. No, but no, <laughs> but I'm glad that you said that because it's just kind of like we yeah, have course. I think we whine a lot less when someone asked us to get up and get them something. And again, that's not it's a horrible comparison, but I think we I think it would change our orientation to life and service especially. Oh, absolutely. But I didn't want to cut you off. I wanted you to finish your thought. Oh, well, now I'm on to a new thought, and that is, why is it so difficult for us as, for we as people to hold those two thoughts in our minds and act on the better one? So, why is it so difficult to know that the moment you spend with your loved one could be the last? Why is that so difficult to do, you know, because you also are thinking, I want to be selfish, I... Well, you may not be thinking you want to be selfish, wanna, but, that's, yeah, exactly. but that's what you are. But why is it so difficult to let go of that and just to really surrender to this idea of I'm going to really give myself to this person? And let's just take your, exa- your example of getting water for that person. You know, why is it so difficult to do those seemingly small tasks and at other times think to yourself, this really could be my last time with this person? Why is it difficult to hold? They're so... They're so grave and they're so severe why is it so difficult to manage those two thoughts well i think on some level i'm I'm just thinking while you're speaking that 
we don't like to think about the macabre and we don't like to think about death and we tend to avoid our own humanity. Mm. You know, I think that has a lot to do with it. I think we all, we all can sit in a room and talk with our friends with a drink in our hand and say, yeah, someday when I die, I want my kids to do this or I want my friends to have this experience or I will, you know, could be possessions. I want so-and-so to have that, you know, I just could be a variety of things and we'll say it, you know, just passively, but it's just hard to, hard to, you know, hold your mortality in your hand and actually have honest conversations about it. But, and, and I, again, I'm tempted to say that all of us think about it, but I don't necessarily think that's true. Maybe people like you and me and other people who share our temperament. Um, but I don't, I think a lot of people probably try to avoid it in thought, you know, it's like it the, seems too heavy. Yeah, I mean, it's the same way where we might eat too much or drink too much or do another activity too much or engage in other risky behaviors. You know, we we just, you know, people say, you know, young people just feel invul- in, invincible and totally mm-hmm. invulnerable. And, and uh, I'm not sure that's a whole lot different regardless of your age. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think what, we, what we're really, when we say those statements, I think what we're really bearing down on is that it seems like younger people just risk more. And I think that's probably true as a generalization. But I don't think anybody, you know, I don't think anybody just, you know, purely feels vulnerable every minute of every day. I think we all mm-hmm. kind of feel invincible. It's just the way we conduct ourselves. And and I understand why we do it. You know, we want to go out and accomplish things and enjoy the world and enjoy mm-hmm. our friends. And, you know, you want to be constantly thinking about death um, and loss. Right, because at, at some point you're not living, right? I mean, if you're so fixated on the idea of death, you can get depressed. Yeah, it's paralyzing. Right. But no, I think we're all, I think we're all 17 in our minds at times Mm -hmm. where we think we can drive a car without a seatbelt and be fine. And I know I think about, I habitually think about losing people that I love. Um, And I always have kind of had this habitual obsession, Um, not a healthy one, but, and I, and I get sad and I, I think about losing someone that I love and how sad I'll be. And, and then the other part of my mind says, but they'll be fine. They, you know, they'll fight the cancer and they'll be fine. Or they'll heal from the car accident and they'll be fine. Be- and I think our in our in our mind, like as a coping mechanism, we just see in our minds, we see someone that we love who is strong and who we want to be okay. So we kind of cope with that idea and we kind of transfer that invincibility onto them mm-hmm. because it could never happen to us. They're too good. Right. You know, they're too precious to us. They, that could never happen. They'll pull through, you know. Right. No, I, I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. I, I, think, I think most of us just feel as though we will live forever. And we, we will, we act. We, we live every day in a pragmatic way like nothing's going to change. You know, like mm-hmm. the relationships we have will always be there. The loved ones we have, they'll always be there regardless of age or illness. Um, you know, I, it's just, I think like, like we always talk about holding those two thoughts in your hands where you're, you're moving on with life. Like everything's not going to change, but at the same time you have to be honest with yourself that you could lose anybody tomorrow and every day is a gift. And, you know, 
and I don't know the statistics off the top of my hand, but like, you know, I know between 30 and 40,000 people die in American highways every year. And so then you bring that down to how many per, per month and day. And, mm-hmm. and that could be people, you know, and guess what? A lot of times it is, it has been people, you know, or people, you, people whom you know, that it happens to them. You know, I can think of a few instances mm-hmm. already and, and it seems pointless and dumb and useless, um, you know. Right, like such an avoidable, pointless right. happening. But, but it nonetheless happens. And I, and I, and I just think, and, and maybe that's why, you know, you and I have always really talked about, you know, relationships and ex- being expressive and demonstrative and telling people you love them and you know, touching them and holding them and giving them hugs and, you know, cause that's the way we experience and love and acceptance and, and, you know, and all the different fears that get in the way as we interact with people in either private or social situations. We don't want to say too much and risk too much mm-hmm. with our language being too vulnerable. We're so afraid of being misunderstood. Some of us, you know, like if I say this and the, this, especially if it's a member of the opposite sex or if you, you know, you feel some kind of quasi romantic connection. It's like, we don't have the, we don't have words that express, Hey, mm-hmm. I love you. You mean something to me without a lot of other things getting in the way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then I'm sure there are people thinking, well, even if we say these words, what what do we what does that mean? You know, what what does that change or 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 what kind of impact? You know, what kind of impactful consequence are you are you really contributing to? Mm-hmm. But for those of us that lie in bed at night, and I know I know you understand, but who think I could lose these people tonight? And I need, I need to right now tell them I love them and that I'm thankful I have them. I mean, like that impulse is so strong mm-hmm. for a lot of people mm-hmm. that I think it, I, the, the risk is still there. Yeah, I think it's definitely can still feel risky. And, and sadly, I think we still avoid it sometimes. But gosh, it's just so important. Oh, for sure. Because I mean, that truly it feels like a lot of pressure, but like that's that it's true. You really, that really could be your last chance. Yeah. You just, I don't know what it is about the our predisposition as people. We have a much easier time, you know, encountering feelings of happiness and acceptance and love than we do, like, living in a place where we're thinking about the end of relationships for whatever reason. Like, you mean reality? Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> I, but uh, you know what? Some people are like, well, that only makes sense. We want to be happy. We don't want to be sad. And, and, and I agree with that. I totally agree with that, that. But why is that our default? You know, that, you know, that is more of the question. And it's not everyone's default. You know, it's some people think a lot about death and the nature of, of loss and, and, and live there quite a bit. Uh, but I think most of us don't, we don't want to embrace it. We don't want to be honest, you know? Um, you know, cause I, you know, people often say that if you really thought you were going to lose your loved one, you know, 
that night, you know, would you really spend 20 minutes bickering about Mm -hmm. the way the picture is hung on the wall or why, why someone didn't empty the dishwasher for the third time in a row? I I mean, you know, we all kind of, we go, yeah, that those things are, those things seem to be less important um, and they are less important, but um, it's just, it's hard to get up and, and look at it um, that way, you know, one of the things that you and I had had talked about a long time ago were like the practices of the Stoic philosophers. And we may have even talked about this in a previous Mm -hmm. episode, you know, where there would be these great um, exercises where you get up in the morning and you take your parents and you then tell yourself they're gone. And then you take your children and you you just say, look, I've lost all of them to horrible illnesses or car accidents. And then you go through systematically all the people that mean something to you. Then you take your possessions and you do the same thing with them. And then Mm -hmm. you are left with nothing. And then you start to add them back in -hmm. your brain. And what it does, hopefully if you're being, you know, you know, thoughtful about the exercises, it begins to create a sense of, overwhelming gratitude yeah because so much of what we have if not all of it can be instantly gone i think that's the key is gratitude because you can't control any of this you cannot control when people die no you just it is out of your hands you are not responsible for that it's not on you but the only thing you can control is how you treat them now, mm-hmm. how you appreciate them now. And in doing so, I think that makes you so grateful. Mm-hmm. And that really is the key. I think you have to tell yourself, I cannot control that, but I'm going to do my best with what I can control. And that is being really grateful and then letting that gratitude flow in my interactions with those people. Mm-hmm. I just think it's I just think it's important to do your best with what you have and not with what you 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 don't have control over. Which is of course like most things easier said than done, but yeah. um but yeah, I mean don't and don't you think that being grateful and going through that exercise makes you different, makes you act different and speak differently. Yes. And just transforms your your relationship with those people. Yeah, especially if you get up every day and do a version of that or if you you know, think about that throughout the day, of course it would. Of course it would reorient yourself and you know, if you didn't, you know, if you if you truly believed that you you couldn't leave the relationships development to a later period of time where well, I'll see them again, we're all going to be in the same yeah. place again. Um, I think it would change the way we orient ourselves to each other today. And <clears throat> and just, you know, the sheer amount of preparation, you know, that you, 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 you can't have for mm. these moments. You know, you can't prepare for them. Um, and, you know, you and I talked about this a couple weeks ago in our last episode. You know, we're lucky. We, there are a lot of people in our lives that we haven't lost, and, but we know... You know, we both know people who have lost their children. We, with I, which I can't even 
comprehend yeah. it all and and we both know people who've lost their parents and their siblings and uh i i mean and it's and and the commonness of our shared humanity means that we will all go through a version of this you know we'll all go through a version where we do indeed lose the people we love and 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 you know we could talk about strategies and again you and I are just two people talking but we could talk about strategies that we think might help us but I don't I don't even know I don't I don't I'm not going to presume to know you know what what could um what could help us move on from like the the situation that would bring about a loss and then we you know we mentioned last episode about Nora's podcast excuse yeah. me her, her TED talk rather um and just being able to, you know, don't move on, but, you know, you take your grief with you and you just live life. I love what she says. She says to move on from a loss would be to assume that that person's life and death were just moments. Yeah. And that she's, I've I've just never heard anybody express it like that. And and it's true to to truly like move on from a loss would be to get ri- get rid of that person and mm-hmm. not carry them with you in right. all of their fullness which i think you can do right which strangely feels like the thing we should do um you know what I, you know what i'm saying it just it just it just it just strangely feels like that's the healthy thing to do Mm-hmm. Do you, right? It, I mean, it does. It feels it's like, like I need to shed the sadness. I need to right. shed the pain. Um, but I just, I love how she marries normalcy and grief. You know, she says, "Sure, I can't, I can't move on because to do that would be to to pretend like his life didn't happen or that it only happened for a moment." And she takes like the grief that is in losing her husband. And she just says, this is normal mm-hmm. because I'm not going to forget him. I'm not going to abandon his impact on my life. And she, she takes the grief and she just adjusts it to her normal life. Mm. It's really brilliant. Yeah. But I mean, I can understand why she feels she should because she's got a new spouse, newer, you know, but like she remarried, you know, and if, if I'm not mistaken, I remember that, that podcast or that, that Ted talk and she just explained how he gets it. Mm-hmm. And he's really open to that. Yeah. Because um, you, you, you I, I don't know. It's just, once again, I'm just thinking about things that have caused me pain. And I just feel like, oh, my gosh, I need to move past this quickly. I need to create another, again, and we talked about this before several episodes, that I want to be in a position where I don't feel pain, where right. I feel comfort, or where I'm maybe not just that you need to feel immense comfort, but that you're free of pain, you know? And now this is a little bit of a, ra- not a rabbit hole, but this is a little bit of, a, of esoteric, but I keep thinking, you know, I, once, one side specifically of my family, um, ca- has really clear and good genealogy. And, um, I am privileged to have like some photos of my great, great grandfather, um, and which which is cool, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I know some people are lucky to have multi generational families, four and even five generations of, of living relatives. You know, you could see them on TikTok, right? Yeah. You know, we see this, <laughs> and I'm like, oh my goodness, it's so cool. But like, um, 
I, I don't know where this enters in and this not, may not even be relevant to this conversation, but like when I think about loss I, and I have to think that my relatives before me thought about loss, my, my, you know, my, my grandfather and his father, um, you know, and my grandfather's grandfather, you know I mean? Everyone mm-hmm. thought about loss and the people that may remember you are probably no more than one or two generations below you. And at that point, and and at that point, nobody remembers you. And you might be a name in a book. You might be lucky to be a picture in an album. Um, You might be, you might be, I don't know if this is lucky or not, but you might be lucky enough to occupy a small piece of property in a plot somewhere. But that is then that's what you are as an as a physical emblem of of your existence, right? Unless you were a major historical figure who produced, you know, work. Um, you know, it just I, every every once in a while I think about that thought, and I think you know, yeah. And 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 it's not I'm I'm I well I think all of us to some extent have have ego, but there's no real there's no real fire in my belly to to write 500 things that people are going to you know remember and talk about um although this podcast is kind of a historical record so that's kind of fun um and i'm sure at some point everything gets sucked into a digital vacuum cleaner to be filed and <laughs> filed and and kept uh forever but you know i just Th- there's a finiteness to our experiences here, um, but that doesn't mean they're meaningless. I think quite the opposite. I think finiteness, things that do not last for very long, create, um, I don't know if it's more meaning or just a heightened level of meaning. You know, whether it be a flower you pick, you know you've only got so long before, you know, it starts to wilt, right? Yeah, That's I'm, a really sweet thought. Yeah, it's just, you, and so you want it to matter. So whether you would be lucky enough, well, in the most unlucky of situations, to, like, know that you had a finite period of time with someone and what hopefully that would create, you know, in you as far as uh, an impetus to do some major investing and, and, you know, expressing of love to that person. But, um, you know, it's... I think I think realizing one's finite excuse me finiteness um, can actually create that. That concludes part two of a three-part series. Please join us next week for the conclusion.